Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. Today, we are joined by Dina Oberst, President and CEO of Gable Tax Group. Gable Tax is a full-service sales and use tax consulting group with over 25 years experience in sales and use tax compliance and consulting services. We're going to talk with Dina about how her career evolved, where she ended up starting Gable Tax and decided to fill a need in the market. Dina, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And as always, Judy Vordren of Saltivation. Hello. <laughs> Dina, you have a lot of experience throughout a variety of industries. Can you walk us through your career that ultimately led you to Gable Tax? Well, I actually didn't start the traditional way. I went to school to be an accountant, thought I'd be a CPA. And uh, in those 90s, I ended up in industry, in the sales tax department, not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be an income tax like every you know college grad. And uh, I was doing sales tax and property tax for a national Um, uniform company. I was determined to get out of that department. (laughs) I called headhunters. I was looking to get out. I was like, how do I get out of sales and property tax? I need to get into income tax. But I actually was told by um, the headhunter that if I stayed two years in sales tax, that I'd be highly marketable. So at that point, literally two years after I had that conversation, that recruiter called me and placed me at a biotech company in the sales tax department. And that's kind of the beginning of everything. I still dabbled in property tax from industry perspective, but, uh, you know, in my later years, I just settled with sales tax. But after spending about four years in private industry, I actually finally made it to public accounting and went to Arthur Anderson as an experienced consultant. And that was kind of different because most people grew up in the firm right out of college and I kind of came from the outside. So I came from a client's perspective. Um, It's a blessing and a curse at the same time. My managers are younger than me. (laughs) You know, I'm not, you know, trained with, you know, what color pencil to use because I didn't go to new hire orientation, (laughs) right? Oh, I got scolded. Oh, I got scolded many times. (laughs) I used the wrong color pencil. Um, And I also got scolded because I would reconcile everything to the penny because I'm an accountant and that's what you do in industry, right? Well, you don't do that in consulting because I wasn't in the scope of services. (laughs) I got because our materiality threshold is $100,000 on one account because we're doing like giant multinationals. Like we don't care. Exactly. And they're like, what is Dina over there doing? I can't find these three cents. It's driving me crazy. I have to it's, find it. So yeah. It's rounding. It's taking too long. You're too expensive to tie out to the penny. Yes. I had to learn all of those things in my Arthur Anderson days for sure. So those were the painful moments. The blessing was I did have experience being on the client side. So I had a little more understanding of their needs. So when we would go in and ask for information, I knew how to kind of, well, let's see, finagle and finesse. Uh I wasn't the big consultant coming in to say, I need this. I'd be like, oh, well, you're on this system. Okay, well, let's go talk to that person. So I think that helped me tremendously relate to clients And I was therefore getting picked up by more managers to work on their projects because they knew I knew the inner workings of companies, right? I wasn't just the the college grad that had never worked anywhere else. I had other experience. And then with that, you know, I was assigned a mentor and he said, 
Dina, you need to specialize. If you're going to fit in a big firm, you need to be the one and only. And I had already had experience using the Vertex software. I had implemented that in my industry days at my biotech company. And so I went and got certified to be a trainer and implementer. And so therefore that kind of launched everything because nobody at the time at Anderson even knew how to use Vertex, right? And this is the 90s. This is the early 90s. And so really that's when I became the Vertex expert for the firm and started doing software implementations and training on how to use the tax return software. I was a super user. So uh, we all know what happened to Anderson, you know, the Enron scandal of 2002. We all kind of folded. I went to Ernst & Young. To be honest, I was only there 90 days. It was during the whole Enron scandal. I wasn't going to march down to City Hall another time, you know, saying we've done nothing and, and all of that. I said, you know, I can't really serve clients in public accounting. There was way too many restrictions with the Sarbanes-Oxley. Yes especially doing what I did, right? I'm doing compliance. We're doing yes. journal entries. We do payment processing. Well, now you can't do anything. So what, what's uh -uh. left? What, what, what is the client going to do? They give you the good stuff and they keep the credit stuff? No. Yeah. So that's, that was that time I um, exited the public accounting space and uh, went to a Jefferson Wells at the time, which was a tax It's firm. back to Jefferson Wells, by the way. Experience then Jefferson Wells. It's back to the same name. I so know. You know. I just I saw know that. that. I just saw it too. I'm like, okay. All right. Well, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did see that. So yeah. I don't know the why yet, but I will find out. <laughs> yeah. And that was a great experience because again, they didn't have a sales and use tax team. And so I kind of led nationwide creating a sales tax compliance and automation practice for the firm. Um, I did that for several years. And really the only reason why I ended up changing is I got breast cancer. <laughs> I had breast cancer. And um, during that time, my husband, who also um, had worked with me at Arthur Anderson, he was a partner um, at a new firm called True Partners Consulting, had encouraged me that maybe it was time to join back with him and lead the sales tax department for Jefferson, I mean, for True Partners Consulting. And so that's when I left. It's wow. kind of a pivotal, pivotal time in my life, right? Oh, yeah. Of, you know, I'm in my 30s. I have cancer. I was traveling all over the world trying to like do software implementations. And it was kind of time to reel it back in and get back, um, get back home. <laughs> so anyway, I ended up landing after that. Um, my husband and I both left there and went to Ryan. Ryan's headquartered in Dallas, Texas. Again, a great opportunity um, for me to lead their compliance practice. They had a huge sales tax practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had built-in clients. I'm like, wow, this would be the marketing mega. I wouldn't have to cold call anymore. Cold calling stinks. All I have to do is network with my fellow partners and voila, they open the door and I go in, client signs and away it went. So being at Ryan um, with the plethora of sales tax clients that they had, they had huge clients, sales tax compliance was a no-brainer. So I was yeah. the practice leader at Ryan and started their sales tax compliance practice. And so that's where I spent my last nine years. Well, when Anderson collapsed, you know, a lot of us, I think, thought about going on our own. And I think I was just too scared. You know, you're just, oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. What am I going to do? No. My husband and I were both out of work, right, at the time. I mean, you're not really out of work when you're at Anderson, but you know what I mean. The firm yes. collapsed. We both lost our jobs. So it was really kind of, like, well, I never did it. People ask me all the time, Dean, why don't you do this on your own? And I was like too scared. I was like, all right. Yeah. No. Um, so really it takes 
some of you can understand this. It takes another pivotal, pivotal moment. And that was, I turned 50. <laughs> so when I turned 50, <laughs> right. I mean, I had a great job at Ryan. I mean, it was really good to me. I had people all over the country. We had offshore to India. I had developed sales tax technology tools. I mean, I had people all over. It, it was great. I mean, I did the best I ever did, sold the most work I ever sold when I was at Ryan. It was great. Loved working with Brent, but I turned 50. <laughs> so then you have that moment like, okay, am I going to spend the next 10 years continuing to build a business for another firm? Or is this the time I take the leap before I'm not employable anymore, right? Because I've had plenty of friends that have taken the leap and then they end up going back to public accounting, so I'm like, how, when do you take the leap and go back? Who's going to hire a 55 or 60-year-old? I mean, that's what I was thinking, right? So I was well, like... Well, there's, there's four, like, um, in large firms, and we see this, whether or not a partner wants to retire or not, like, you're forced into retirement, I think, at, like, 62. 62. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, you can maybe get an extension, but you're not a partner, you're a director, you're... So, yeah, yeah. there's... Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. It's yeah, the upper so. out mentality. Plus you're making money for somebody else. You don't... Even at Ryan, you're getting told what you get paid... Not to say you wouldn't get paid well, but it's like still lining somebody else's coffers. So. Well, and it was the same thing. You know, the more you change jobs, the harder it is. You have conflicts of interest with clients and all of that, right? It's, it's starting over. Starting over is hard. Yes. So I thought, well, I had saved up some money. You know, I did really well at Ryan. I will not lie. Um, it's, it's a good model. And so I took the savings that I had and told myself, okay, if I hit 51, I'm staying. If... If I don't, I have to decide now. So between 50 and 51, I told myself, if I don't, if I don't take the leap at time of 51, I'm just going to stay at Ryan and that's it. And I'm just going to retire here at some point. So at 50 and a half, literally on Halloween or whatever of four years ago, I took the leap and decided it was time. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to spend my life savings <laughs> and launch my own compliance firm. And it was really at that point, that some people around me thought I was crazy. They thought I was having like a midlife crisis, must be going through menopause, you know, all the stuff you get accused <laughs> of. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? If you're not in camp, Dina, you're out of the camp. And so I really had this major cleansing in my life at that moment. And really that was kind of the launch. I, I started Gable Tax in March of 2017. And it was just me. And I decided LinkedIn was going to be my best friend because I had lost all my contacts, right? You lose your contacts when you change jobs. So I had a lifelong database of names and colors and kids and all my stuff that I've had since my Anderson days. I had none of it. So I had to quickly learn how to use LinkedIn to reconnect, to build a network. Wow. And so that's kind of how it started. And LinkedIn really was um, the feeder for me because I hate to say it, but it's really awesome. Being ex-Arthur Anderson carries a lot of weight. Yeah. I mean, there's people that reach out to you just because you're Anderson, never met them, you know, didn't work at the same office. And actually it was my very first alliance was with a former Arthur Anderson colleague. He uh, owned another firm. They were doing income tax. They wanted to do sales tax. They became our first client. And we ended up doing 20 of their client sales tax returns. Wow. 
So that really kind of was pivotal for us. I mean, it literally, you know, within a year, we had six employees and I mean, you know, more than 20 clients, but it was just, it was kind of just the, the thing that turned the page, right? The, the Anderson connection. But it's also interesting that you could do that in disparity with Ryan. And I mean, there's a lot of people that do this work out there, Dina. And I helped sell it at Deloitte. And then Vertex spun off. And that was my group that went to Vertex. And Thompson Reuters bought the Deloitte practice because mm-hmm. of Sarbanes-Oxley. So I, I've always struggled with, like, do I want to set this up? Because there's all these other people that do it and do it well, right. sort of. <laughs> we all know that's a... That's a push-pull too. It's not apples to apples as I've come to appreciate, which is why you and I are connected. But like, how do you say I'm better than these guys? Or or there's a need for what I do compared to what they do, right? The mentality. Well, it is scary because, you know, there are so many other providers out there. Um, they have, you know, deep pockets yeah. for technology and all of that. So it was scary. But the one thing I knew for sure is if it didn't work, I could get a job. You know, I could get another job. I had plenty of solicitation. I mean, I had offers to buy my company within six months of starting it. So people I felt like believed in in what I've done. So it was kind of like, okay, if push comes to shove, I can go get another job and be on salary instead of living off my savings. But I think the biggest difference is that I actually had people come apply. I had clients call me the day I started my business. They're like, Dina, we've been with you for years where are you? We didn't know. And so I thought, well, I can do this. I'm a people person. And the level of service that I've always provided has always been very focused on being super helpful, you know, being available. And I think that that's kind of maybe my secret sauce. I will just say is that, you know, people can pick up the phone and talk to me. I understand what what's going on with them. I understand their world. And then I give them practical advice. I'm not a CPA that's going to say, you know, this is what the state says and you have to do it. I'm going to say, well, this is what the state says, but Mm -hmm. here are some options. And then you pick your own risk. You know, here's risk A, B, and C. It's kind of, uh, you know, I like to give clients options. So I just thought, well, and I reconciled with a penny. Let's not forget that. That's one thing I still could have a say in. So it is one of my things that have carried with me forever. And you'll, if you look at my website, it will literally say that. And I think the reason why we're different is we're not just technology, right? A lot of the systems that are out there um, outsourcing uh, companies are software driven. And we all know being software implementer, it's only as good as it's implemented. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. you know, I hear horror stories Absolutely. every day. I have clients that all these platforms on the calculation side but on the remittance it's all manual they can't make adjustments and they can't reconcile the gl so judy one of the things that you know we always pride ourselves on is we actually reconcile and we reconcile at the beginning of the month you know when you're in industry you do reconciliations at the end of the month before you close your books we do it at the beginning so we get the client's gl information and all their data and we reconcile it before we prepare the tax return that we uncover anything, you know, we, uh, so we uncover what's, what's wrong with the data before the tax return goes out. So we're not filing amended returns and trying to get refunds and, and all of that. Yes. And we do tie to the penny. We want to know, you know, is there a local jurisdiction that's not due till quarterly? Well, that dollar amount that's due to that jurisdiction is sitting on the reconciliation. 
And that's just kind of how we operate. And I've been doing it long enough. I've been doing this for 29 years that I've pretty much perfected the process. We use technology, of course, but we do use human common sense. You know, you got to look at that. And I think it's not, it can't be completely automated. And I'm coming to realize that I feel like there's been all these software vendors that have push, push, push this and people buy into it. Right. But it's, there is nuance to sales cycles, to data, to how things get fed in, to how the client service process works. And that means data is not exactly software driven. It needs to be human driven. So you need that element of data and software and human interaction in order to have a good filing. I mean, we don't file income tax returns based on putting a bunch of numbers into a spreadsheet and then uploading into a software. No, we have to think about this and that adjustment and this, that, and the other. I mean, there is human interaction to create a final return, whether it be sales tax or income tax or even payroll tax, but bottom line sales tax for you. And I think there's something lacking in some of the things that people are saying out there that is problematic to the industry. Um, and pushing it to a thought and a software as opposed to humans. And I think that's where you stand out. Well, and I think, and I think too, now that, you know, sales tax is kind of, sales tax has kind of come to the forefront of, you know, see, you know, CEO, CFO's attention. And you're like, well, you know, you are signing these things under penalty of perjury. You are a, an, an agent of the government and you are collecting money on behalf of the government. And there, it's a big deal to not do it correctly. It's not just some, you know, administrative thing that can be pushed off and it's not a big deal, right? Like we have, you know, I was doing a reconciliation for a client who's in the UK who, you know, uses a software company's kind of tax return remittance. And we're looking at like, shoot, we think there was an entire month that didn't get remitted properly, but then going back and reconciling. But we also think because of the way that their system works, that we may have not taken an opportunity for $75,000 worth of credits. So it's just this huge discrepancy and they don't know how they are one person who's managing sales tax from England, right? Like who isn't familiar with the system that she's just like, well, the transactions are in and I hope it's done right. And it's like, you can't, as much as technology is great and we couldn't do the reconciliations without the technology, like it just, you cannot remove that human element of it. And it sounds like that's where your firm and your underlying model is just like that human piece to keep it going and to keep it done correctly. And that's why we're, you know, we're aligning with you because we want to offer that to our clients. Well, I always say this measurement drives behavior. And if you have chargeability goals from the public accounting firms, which is what we were, then that's the behavior. Um, I don't have those same measurements. I don't have those same KPIs. So what, what, how do we stand out? Hey, that thing better be accurate. You better reconcile it. And by reconciling, you're also picking up, um, like Meredith was saying, some tax only credit. So right, sometimes tax adjustments don't sit in the sales invoice because they didn't reverse it. It's written off an AR, you know, someone provided an exemption certificate and it's sitting mm-hmm. in the GL. So if you're just taking the sales report and you're not looking at the GL, you have all this money that the business had already gave to the state and they don't get it back because it's nobody thought to take the credit. And so that's the reconciliation and that's why it's super important. Now that's the traditional businesses, right? It's not the e-commerce businesses don't have those same exact those same because they don't have the AR. But you know, traditional businesses, medical device companies, and all those 
their GL is really important to reconcile every month. It's really hard when you have one sale and you know this, Judy, you have a client that bought a $3 million piece of equipment and you charge them tax, you paid it. Within 30 days, they say, oh no, this was a resale. Here's a resale certificate. Yep. And they short pay the tax. How do you get that money back from the state? You got to file them in return. And oh my gosh, it's just, it's, it's a painful process. Because remember, right? This isn't a cruel based reporting, not cash. Yep, yep. So as a business, as a taxpayer, you need to front the money. Mm-hmm. You have payment terms with your customers. So it's a huge outlay of cash. And we just want to be very um, respectful of that and make sure that they're not over-reporting. And, and Meredith, when you were talking about reconciling, I actually see more times than not, I don't see clients charging tax and not remitting. I see just the opposite. I see where they're overpaying. Yes. Because yes. the automation that's out there that they're using to prepare tax returns consolidates data, right? It may be coming from Amazon. It may be coming from Shopify, right? This is before Marketplace Facilitator. But data would come in from multiple sources and they'd push it through this one platform thinking it's whatever tax was collected, right? No, it recalculated. And so we had a client... Um, it was going to overpay. So let's say their tax was like $14,000 traditionally. That month it was $70,000. And the client was getting ready to pay it. And I'm like, you know, that's something's not right. Your, your tax is not. There's an outlier here. That doesn't seem and right. And sure enough, we found out the software recalculated tax from all these other systems, which were already sophisticated, right? They already had, Amazon already had a Vertex plugin. They already have an Avalara plugin or a Taxware plugin, right? Or Sovos, whatever it's called now. Um, they all had their own tax engines. So it should have been fairly correct. But as you know, Judy, they don't all are set up the same, right? They map different tax codes. Maybe that product's exempt on the Amazon platform, but it's taxable on the Avalara platform. You know, so um, I just I just caution. When I hear people say, oh, we're using this particular thing, I'm like, just be careful. Please, please, right. please reconcile to your GL. Don't but be out of pocket. A, but there's a lack of value in the sales tax process. And it's funny, you know, listening to you, I'm thinking I started in income tax and I moved to sales tax because I didn't like income tax. Oh, is that really? funny? That is oh, funny. Well, you I like did not ski- like it. You like skiing better than you I like. so annoyed. I've been <laughs> to you career, like doing tax returns. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. I didn't realize January through April freaking 15th, I'd be out of ski season absolutely i'm like i gotta get out of this world <laughs> plus um the deadline driven not to say sales tax isn't deadline driven it totally is and i so i like i struggle with the compliance for that reason i like the consultative aspect of the work because it's a soft deadline versus a hard deadline but um it's just funny you say that and then i was like gosh there's so many things with sales tax that are creative that are interesting that are thoughtful and they're going on all the time i don't know i just found it fascinating so i'm kind of the opposite of you started in income and got the heck out still do income by by the way and understand it enough but i like the sales tax world better and i also thought but i also thought it was very devalued i would i remember talking to a cfo and he's like oh that's really clerical and i'm like i don't think it's clerical and i and it's true it's not it's like the, the devil's in the details of how you set yourself up where you tax who you tax, why you tax. I mean, all that's really important to get to the number at the end. And even that is not so simple as far as citing a sale. So there's a lot of complexity to get to your answer and the inputs of the tax. You're exactly right. And then the accrual and making sure that you don't over remit. And people think the clerical, but in the end, it's real money, real money every month. 
So um, I think it's, and it's nice that it's been more important because of Wayfair. That's been oh, huge yeah. for all of us. Oh that yeah. People pay attention to it now. Like <laughs> when is the New York Times, the Washington Post, you name it, any media talking about Wayfair? Like when has sales tax ever been important? And I've been coming to appreciate like, why do people not get this? And when sales tax is around since 1922, you know, it's older than the income taxes, but people are like, yeah, it's clerical. I'm like, okay. And now you see all the media say it's the primary driver of state tax coffers. It is not income taxes. It's a, it's a, you know, whatever. And so now we're getting some credibility. Honestly, it's only the big companies that have gone, this is important. This matters. It's the small companies that are getting chewed up now because they have not made it important or valued it or gotten the right resources to help them, you know, spearhead it. Well, and that kind of ties in, Dina, I want to go back to something that you said at the very beginning, you know, right out of college after your two years, why do you think that recruiter was saying that, you know, two years in, you're going to be incredibly marketable? Like, what do you think? Because obviously it's pre-Wayfair, you know, whatnot. So why, why do you think that is? Well, back in those days in the 90s, you know, if you had any state and local tax knowledge, you were still in the federal practice. These public accounting firms had just started salt practices, right? So it was always a Fed guy that came over to run the salt practice. And so they were recruiting for salt, right? You had a lot of attorneys, right? They don't want to do compliance. Again, too clerical. You know, let's hire Dina. She'll like it, you know, give it to her. It's the cruddy work, you know, little did they know 29 years later, you know, I, and I didn't know either. I wanted to get out of it too. I was like, I didn't want to be, you know, the stepchild. I couldn't, I couldn't. I had that ball tied around the ankle my whole life, (laughs) that ball and chain, haven't been able to shake it. But, you know, um, um, so I really think Meredith, that that's really what happened. It was just happened to be a perfect storm, right? Salt became a marketable business for the public accounting firms. They had to split it from Fed. They had to get dedicated resources and add um, talent in those areas. You know, your property tax, your escheat, which isn't even a tax, right? Your unclaimed property. Yeah. Yeah. Deal back then Delaware was hot, 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 going after everybody. Oh, Delaware's still hot, hot, hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that was kind of um, the reason for the, re- for the recruiter making that decision. And, and it was the right decision looking back for sure. But I, I've been the stepchild for a long, long time. I know. Um, you know, and I, I have for people who are kind of resentful of me now. I'm like, I've been taking a beating for my entire career. And now I get to say, hey, I know this stuff really well. And I've been doing a long time. And I can build on that knowledge, right? Every single client is a new experience and a new opportunity to learn. And I've, you know, I've been riding up that. I've been scaling up the top of Mount Everest without a Sherpa. And now you <laughs> want to get on my back and ride the sled down. Because I stuck it out and climbed right but it you know we've certainly paid our dues in terms of credibility value understanding in the space and not been very valued by our peers over the years well think about the value but think about the value we now have for those clients that are underserved and this was kind of the another perfect storm for me right i created the firm created gable tax with the sales tax gurus um you know focused on compliance the old traditional method, and then Wayfair. Of all all things, like when did we ever have a big tax law change like that ever? I don't even have to tell people like, what do you do? I'm a sales tax accountant. Oh, do you do income tax? I'm like, no. Now I say sales tax, like, oh, Wayfair, you know, oh, that's the Wayfair. So common people know it was on regular news, you know, so um, we're finally at the forefront. But the, the beauty of it, right, is that you and I focused on this for so long that what does a client get? 
they get an instant answer. I know. 29 years of experience and they get an <laughs> answer in two minutes. Now, I'm not going I back know. to a book or whatever, some online research, researching it. Yep. I've had enough experience that this stuff is just here. I don't yep. know how to do income tax. Don't ask me. I have a CPA for that. I am just multi-state sales and use tax. And we are very compliance driven. It's not that we don't do research and BDAs and all of that, but everything has a compliance component to it. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's where we're trying to do the VDAs and the thought process, but get the compliance off our backs because of the ability to do it well and do it efficiently. You're better at that than we are because we aren't big enough to like do that. And I don't know that I want to grow it like you have, even though, Obviously, there's an opportunity, but I want to align with peers that are really good at that part of the, 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 of the ongoing duty. Once we are like, oh, you need to file in 20 places, you need someone to help you do that well because you are not, you can't do it very well. And even with software, you can't do it really well. You've got to have somebody manage the farm. So obviously, that's why I'm interested in, in working and aligning with you because I want my clients to be well-served. You know? Yeah, well, we align, like you said, we align with other accountants and other salt people like yourself. We have yep. several sales tax um, firms that we partner with that, again, don't want to do the compliance. Yeah. And so we don't, we're not really focused on VDAs. Actually, we haven't even done a VDA since we started because our, our alliance partners, like someone like yourself, would do the VDA. And then when the state says, you can't give me a spreadsheet to file the VDA, we need tax returns, right? Yeah. Thanks, California. Yeah, it's Massachusetts. <laughs> And then we're like, we'll do them, we'll do them. Yay, Judy, we'll do them for you. You know, we'll yeah. take whatever data you did and negotiate with the state. We'll put it through our software and our process. And then we'll give you perfectly tied out balance to the penny tax returns yeah. that you could submit with your VDA. So. Um, so then how do you build to scale? Like, how did you get to the point where like, all right, we're already set up. We've got the infrastructure. We can handle Wayfair right from, you know, June 22nd after people have had, you know, 24 out, 12 hours to, you know, take over and, you know, digest that, um, you know, that decision. Well, it was kind of pivotal too for us because, you know, we, I was still um, traditionally going after, you know, clients that had multi-state presence, again, medical device, software as a, you know, not software as a service, SaaS wasn't a big deal until Wayfair, but, um, you know, I was still doing those traditional solicitations. So when Wayfair hit, um, I quickly pivoted and I actually bailed out on a couple RFPs. I pulled away from some on some big retailer RFPs because I realized the CPA community was now going to be suffering. So you think about outside of the big four, the middle tier firms, there's no sales tax department at a regional uh, accounting firm. Nope. So when you have Wayfair, first thing, if you're a business, especially an online business, who do you call? Call your CPA. Your content. Yep. You always call your CPA. Now, if they're a California CPA, they may know California sales tax, but they don't know Arizona, Nevada, Texas. I mean, Colorado, but oh, Colorado. Yep. <laughs> lovely Colorado. So um, it, I quickly just, my VP and I were like, okay, we are going to just start calling all our CPA colleagues and asking if they need help. And so that's what we did. And we really totally changed. So all of my marketing goes to helping the CPAs. We provide free guidance and free nexus studies to them to kind of help them gain the trust of their clients as to, you know, where they should be filing, help educate. So that's yep. what we're doing. We're helping to educate. So yeah, that's not scalable per se, right? There's technology out there. LumaTax is a great platform to do that kind of stuff, right? For CPA firms that want to keep that nexus study stuff in-house. 
that's not scalable, but it's kind of building goodwill, right? We want to yep. give back to the community and giving back by helping to educate. And of course, if they decide to outsource, we hope that we get the registrations and we get the tax returns. But so that's kind of how Wayfair pivoted us, but it doesn't get back to your scaling. Scaling is all about process, right? You always hear that people, process, and technology. I've been hearing it since my Anderson days, but boy, it's the truth. You know, you don't just have clerical people, right? We talked about that. You said it's a clerical role. Well, clerical people are like robots and they do exactly what you tell them in the method you tell them. And then yep. you add a wrench in it and then it's like, you know, a mouse in a, in a maze. Where do they go? Yep. So yes, you can save money on payroll, but you don't save time and you're not efficient at all. So I hire college educated accountants because if you hire an accountant, they're going to still look at it from an accounting perspective, debits and credits. And I hire accountants that love technology, you know, that love to, you know, write formulas in Excel. And the reason why I say Excel and not anything else more than that is because when we give the data back to the client, you can't give them an access database. They don't know how to deal with that, <laughs> right. right? So yeah, oh yeah, you can use all these great automation tools and then you give it back to them and they're like, they can't open it. So <laughs> I want to operate in what they have because at some right. point they're going to get audited. They're going to want their work papers. They're going to want to be able to read them. So because I've done this so long, Meredith, I've been able to kind of perfect the process. And you know how that is. It's no different than, say you're doing chores at your house, Right. You could either like go to the kitchen and grab something and then go over here and then you're like, oh, I missed a path. I don't think that way. I think, okay, if I'm headed from here to the kitchen, I have all these things I need to do. So I only have to walk once. Yes. Just the way I'm wired. I'm kind of weird. Yes. So I will gather this stuff. And so that same um, way I'm wired is how I treat sales tax compliance. There's a specific process that you have to go through to be the most efficient because if I just tell you, yeah, you got to reconcile and yeah, you got to do this. Yeah, you got to get the data and you just handed it to a staff person. They all do it different. You got one person that's a superstar and you got another one that's floundering, right? So yeah, it's really about the people, the talent, the process. And of course you have to use technology because no one's going to do a sales tax return by hand. Well, some people do, but we don't. As you know, we yeah. use Vertex returns um, and I have been using that product my whole career. Yeah, no, it's funny. I'm the same way. That's why I hire people who are interested in it, motivated by it, usually educated in it, especially choosing tax. Like who does as a CPA chooses tax, right? That's not common. So it's definitely that extra effort of like, I really like this area. I don't want to be per se an auditor, a financial accounting auditor. I'm going to be a tax geek. So you've got to have the tax geek hat on, I think, to really succeed in this field. Kind of been the challenge though, right? Because you're a tax geek. Everyone wants to do income tax, just like I did. So when we're hiring, we have to be, we really have to ask what their long-term goals are because if yes. they're the CPA, we don't want them. To be yeah. honest, I don't want to spend two years getting them, you know, like super efficient and then they want their CPA because we're not a CPA firm. We really want somebody that um, wants a really good career, that loves clients, loves helping others, um, and is willing to reconcile the penny the way Dina asks. And, yes. <laughs> and know um, your truth, own it, speak to it, teach to it. And likes deadlines, yes. right? Right, Meredith? Likes the deadline because right. unlike income tax, sales tax cannot have an, ex does never, well, I can't say that anymore. Thank you, right. Governor. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> never had an extension ever, right? 29 ever. years, never. You, you don't file an extension. You get clients that say, I didn't file it. It was due on the 20th, big deal. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, why do you want to pay a penalty? So 
um, you have to be very driven on deadlines, right? There's a certain time of the month where that also could go haywire. If we're not done by the 10th of the month, then, you know, it gets a little hairy because you have to file online. So um, really the scaling is all about people, process, technology, and training, constant training. We are training our people every month in the downtime. We're looking at different technology all the time to change the processes to see if we can make it more efficient to reconcile. It's not to make it faster, it's just to perfect it. Yeah. I'm right. a perfectionist. That makes sense to me. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> well, but, I mean, there's nothing wrong in that. Like I said, own your truth, get it, and figure out how to, you know, make the best of it, right? Like, and here, so Judy made fun of, not made fun of me, but we were, we were doing a site tour and we were talking about, you know, they were manufacturing and like cutting, you know, making the most out of a sheet out of metal and like getting the templates. So I asked the guy if he was really good at loading a dishwasher because he was able to piece and part all of those kind of things within to get the most out of the sheet metal. Are you good at loading a dishwasher? Oh, yes. Actually, it's funny you say that. You just like a flash went in my mind. So I was a seamstress when I was a young girl. It was one of the jobs that I that I had. I've been working since I was 11. So one of the jobs I had was uh, my parents owned a beauty salon and uh, they had like a little boutique in the front. And one of their designers, she was looking for a seamstress. And so I would go to her house. My mom would drop me off and I brought my sewing machine and I would sit, lay all the fabric on her table in her dining room and all the patterns. And I wanted to make sure I got them like as much as I could, right? On that one piece. And I sat there and I cut them and then I stitched them together. But it was the same thing. It's like, no mm-hmm. way. I didn't want to waste any of that fabric. Of course, it had stripes and stuff. That's a whole other thing. But you know, it was like I had every little piece made sure I was very efficient in use of the pattern on the fabric. <laughs> it's, it's inefficient when my husband takes a giant bowl and just sets it right in the middle of the top rack and I'll blame it. It's like, he didn't have a dishwasher growing up. Like maybe that's why he just never learned how to load a dishwasher, but like, you know, but also that's kind of where my brain goes of like spatially, where can all these things to get, you know, the best outcome for what I have it, you know, I have constraints and I have things that need to fit in within my constraints. So how can I best utilize that? Yeah. Nope. I'm definitely, my boyfriend will be like, Oh, I'll do the dishes for you. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm yep. good. I'm good. <laughs> yep. I, you and I are like, go feed there. the cat. <laughs> go feed the cat or go fold clothes. Mom, maybe I don't want you to fold clothes either. Cause I'm a little <laughs> funny about how I fold my towels. <laughs> I am <Me> too. too. <laughs> So kind of on that, as you know, we wrap up, is there anything that you feel we need to know that we didn't already talk about? What about starting in a business? What about the fact that you did this? Like, are you glad you did it now? I am so glad I did this, you know, and we're not quite into our fourth year, but I am so glad the first two years, I will not lie, were scary, scary, scary. Um, you know, burning through how much money I said I was going to spend on the firm because I hired right away. You know, you have to be credible. You have checks and balances and compliance. You know, we do bank reconciliations. We do journal entries for payment processing, right? There's lots of um, division of responsibility. So I had to have a big team. So I had a lot of payroll. People were getting paid and I wasn't that first 11 months. Yes. That was really hard to not see a deposit in my checking account. I think that was the hardest thing, right? I worked for someone my whole 25 years. Yes. And that first two weeks, I was like, we 
there's no money coming in. What's yeah, there's lots going out. Yeah, but it worked out. You know, I was, I'm very, I'm just very lucky. I stayed very focused. Um, I'm very driven and goal oriented. I set goals every day. I had coaches during that first year. I had colleagues, I had masterminding. So I always had um, a group of other um, female entrepreneurs that we were all pushing each other to reach our goals. And I think that was really made a difference because you, you can go in a dark place when you're all by yourself. I mean, I was in a co co-work place at a private office, but you know, I was outside the home, but it's still, you know, trying to, trying to figure it out, make calls. How many calls did you make in a day? Um, but, you know, by 11 months, uh, we were profitable. So it really only took 11 months of investment into the business. And, um, you know, of course, Wayfair, that was just, you know, huge. Yeah, it's funny because I joined this firm and didn't make any money for six months. Same thing. But I went, I went into a firm. So I had some, you know, website, I had some process, right? But I still had to build it up for my own way. And it was my service line. So it, it was, it was a lift. And then, you know, all these things have happened every year, COVID being the next, like, what does this mean for us? Right. I mean, it's just always something going on in life that you're like, okay, what does this mean? Right. I mean, you could have said, I could have taken that money and just retired. Yeah, I could have. Well, and I even said, I'm only going to spend this. And then I ended up like, okay, maybe I get comfortable, more comfortable with not spending that and sell my house and take the money. So I did, I put the house on the market I went into escrow like super quick and then I don't know the buyer you know something happened and the backup buyer was in all cash and whatever happened and then he wanted all my furniture and my paintings and all that for free to buy the house like you know and I'm like you know what I'm not doing it and so I quickly took it off the market like this just it's just so weird I think I put it on the market at the beginning of March and by the end of March um I, I was in this office where I am here in Pasadena and one of my uh colleagues here he was asking me like at the end of the month he's like why are you selling your house I said well because it just takes the strain off you know it's extra money I can put in the savings I don't need this big house right um he goes well how many how many jobs did you close this month I'm like you know I don't know let me think about that and I'm like oh yeah 19 <laughs> he goes did you do a projection of cash after you close these like what your revenue is going to be for the renter of year and I'm like no I'm just so busy selling <laughs> projection I'm like oh I don't need to sell my house I call my real estate how do I get out of this deal with this guy I don't want to sell my house I don't want to sell my house <laughs> so you know sometimes it's nice to have friends that you know other business colleagues to kind of get you back focused um you know I was just like sale 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 but really um that 19 uh new accounts uh march of prior year was pivotal for us too because they were big accounts they were big social media, e-commerce based that came actually from a colleague of mine. Um, there was a guy that used to work for me at Arthur Anderson and he's a partner at Greenhouse and Jenks. And he made the introduction to this management company and boom, you know, magic just happened, right? We got all these clients. So, yeah. Well, there's a need. Yeah. Clearly there's a need that you're even in a competitive space shows that there's a need for you compared to them. So there is a lot of opportunity out there. I think it's how we see the world. Don't you think I, you have to see it differently trying to seek abundance 
as opposed to negative thinking, which is stay, it's safe, you know, but you know, that's a constant thing I think you have as an entrepreneur and a business owner of like, am I good? Do I want to be here? I'm going to keep doing this. I'm in the game and I'm helping people. That's meaningful. I think that's, I think that's the best part of this. Um, My VP and I, her name is Lindsay Sisk. She's been with me for many years. She worked with me for 10 years before. We just have this thing about helping people. So it's really, yeah, you got to make money and we're making money. The firm's making money. We're really profitable. Um, you know, revenue grows, but it's not even that it's about the joy at this stage of my life. It's the joy. It's the joy of helping people. You know, yes. I had gotten this call from a guy and it was like, he, he just called, he's a, hey, my CPA referred me to you. He goes, I created this product and I can't say anything, but I'm going to be on shark tank in a couple of days and I need to set up sales tax. And so I was like, Okay, this is cool, right? A founder, an entrepreneur, he gave up his big job to go move home with his parents to get this product on the market. It's going to be on Shark Tank. This stuff's going to fly off the shelf. So it was like, we jumped on it. We did a Nexus review, figured out where he had inventory, got him registered, set up his ta- set up his systems, right? His online shopping cart to tax the products where he needed to tax. And then boom, his, his episode aired five days later, literally. It was, like, it was a Tuesday he called me and the episode aired on. Sunday. So that was the kind of stuff that, you know, Lindsay and I get super excited about because where else could he go? He's not going to call, you know, one of the big Fords for help yeah. and ask a CPA and the CPA is going to be like, I don't know, self-tax or, you know, totally. are you going to charge him an arm and leg to figure it out? Whereas we were like, boom, boom, in a day he was done, set up, ready to go. So we're having a lot of fun, Judy, serving clients. And then you have that knowledge. To, like, actually, it's funny. I had a call like that yesterday with somebody and thought I could tell him in an hour what he needed. I mean, I knew what to do. I mean, how invaluable is that? And do I want to get out of the game and go, you know, fishing and hang out and do yoga all day when I can really provide all this knowledge and substance that I've gathered over my career that really can help people? And that gives you a lot of heart, doesn't it? Oh, and, yeah. You know, it's a, I love it. I love to it. To say that, like how rewarding that is. Yes, you have to make money, like you said, but to be able to share what you know and, and help people, like that is valuable. Like we're not doctors, but, you know, we do provide value in society. Yeah. Taxes are not going away. They're not. So. And we don't want people to lose their, you know, their life savings. I mean, I had this other client who I talked to probably back in January. He was also referred from a CPA. And I told him, you know, this is what your exposure is. This is what you need to do. He did nothing. He literally called Lindsay and I last, last week, actually, right before Thanksgiving. He's like, well, you know, I'm just kind of following up. This is what happened. And we're like, you have 11 more, 10 more months of sales. And we did an exposure analysis, right? This is just the one guy, right? It's like $3.3 million in potential exposure. He's like, I'll be bankrupt. And it's like, there was a part of me that was so mad because I was like, I tried to tell you in January. Yeah. Like, I, you know, right? you do. those are the hard parts because those are the hard conversations you have to have with people because they didn't take it seriously. They're like, my mom's no. so And I'm like, I'm sorry, but this is your responsibility. We tried to tell you. So you look at those kind of situations and I feel really bad for him because, you know, people are just trying to make a buck and, and, and it's, you know, it's COVID and, and, you know, what do you know? You don't know. So I feel good that I can give this advice for free because if they, if they knew that they would have to spend two or $3,000 to have this conversation on economic nexus, at least for me, right? I know other firms do this. It's great. But for me, I would just feel really horrible to tell them, you know, this is what you, this is what's wrong. And you just had to now pay me to tell you that. Like, yep. Because I'm hoping that yep. he knows now and he wants to come forward. 
you know, right. help him get registered. Right. Or I turn him over to you and say, he needs a BDA, Judy. And so many people just think I'm just going to keep letting it go. And I'm like, it's millions of dollars now. Like, well, you know what happened, right, anyway. Judy? He got letters from two states. So now, you know, no VDA now. But anyway, that's the bad side of the story. But you yep. know, there's plenty of um, people out there that are still doing well during COVID. E-commerce is still hot, hot, hot. I'm trying to get more education in the SaaS community. I'm sure as you know, because SaaS yep. is impacted. It's not a service. Sorry, it's not, yeah, <laughs> not a service in the eyes of the states. And especially with economic nexus, right? So we have a lot of California-based SaaS companies who are like, oh, but it's not taxable. I'm like, exactly. But you've met yeah, the threshold. <laughs> there are 19 other states that tax it, by the way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of really been where we were kind of pivoting is helping the CPA community understand that SaaS is taxable in 19 other states. And so please reach out to your SaaS clients and let them know because, you know, we yep. are, you know, two years into this Wayfair thing and, you know, come next year, I mean, the, the audits are going to probably start showing up i mean i yeah oh yeah you probably know no, better than i but well that's my prediction because that's what happened in 07 that was like whoa non-resident audits were crazy california being one of them money from out-of-state taxpayers so i predict that's what's going to happen everybody's sort of laying low it's covid we don't want anyone to die we're not going to make tax an extra burden death and taxes we'll go with the death right <laughs> but mm -hmm. i predict next year we got to fill those coffers we're giving all these people money where is the money going to come from it's been lawfully owed and not been paid i mean you just can't skirt the laws forever so, um, and I don't know why people think that they should have to get away with that when the large companies of our nations are kind of bearing the brunt of the tax obligations because they're getting caught, it's material to them, and the $3 million guy is not done what he should have done. So, why? It's, it is expensive, but not outrageously expensive. Not $3 million worth of expensive to fix it up, fix it. Yeah. It can't cost 100000 to fix it. Well, and the thing know? I think they forget too, and I tell people this, they're like, well, what, how much do you have to charge uh, how much are you going to charge me to file a tax return? And what do I got to pay? And I'm like, yeah, but there's usually a vendor discount. There's a timely filing discount on most tax returns, yep. which is supposed yep. to help subsidize the cost of compliance. Right. So yeah. Don't forget yeah, yeah, about yeah. that piece of it. You know? That's a really good thing for me to remind people of. I hadn't thought of that. That's a because what the other thing I've been telling people is if you owe money and you have to keep it out of your pocket, it is a 100% tax deductible charitable contribution to the state. <laughs> now, mind you, it's not maybe where you wanted the money to go, but it's not a 50% haircut on normal charitable contributions. It'll be 100% deductible if you pay someone else's tax. And you still get it in a loss because it's a deduction. It's a deduction. Charitable so only calendar. The penalties are not deductible. So pay the tax, pay the interest, but don't pay the penalties. So. tax hat. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> Gina, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you. We really look forward to building, you know, our strategic partnership, you know, with Gable Tax. And so thank you just for the work that you're doing, the education you're providing. And, you know, thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much, Meredith, for having me and Judy. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Absolutely. Well, this has been another episode of Saltivation. I'm Meredith Smith. Until next time. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.